You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let us open our Bibles together. We turn this afternoon to Ephesians chapter 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men, Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together, and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. Our text this afternoon is taken from the book of Numbers, chapter 8. And we take up our series again, beginning at verse 5 of Numbers 8 to the end of the chapter. The Lord said to Moses, take the Levites from among the other Israelites and make them ceremonially clean. To purify them, do this, sprinkle the water of cleansing on them, then have them shave their whole bodies and wash their clothes and so purify themselves. 
Have them take a young bull with its grain offering of fine flour mixed with oil. Then you are to take a second young bull for a sin offering. Bring the Levites to the front of the tent of meeting. Assemble the whole Israelite community. You are to bring the Levites before the Lord, and the Israelites are to lay their hands on them. Aaron is to present the Levites before the Lord as a wave offering from the Israelites, so that they may be ready to do the work of the Lord. After the Levites lay their hands on the heads of the bulls, use the one for a sin offering to the Lord, the other for a burnt offering to make atonement for the Levites. Have the Levites stand in front of Aaron and his sons and then present them as a wave offering to the Lord. In this way, you are to set the Levites apart from the other Israelites and the Levites will be mine. After you have purified the Levites and presented them as a wave offering, they are to come to do their work at the tent of meeting. They are the Israelites who are to be given wholly to me. I have taken them as my own in place of the firstborn the first male offspring from every Israelite woman. Every firstborn male in Israel, whether man or animal, is mine. When I struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, I set them apart for myself. And I have taken the Levites in place of all the firstborn sons in Israel. Of all the Israelites, I have given the Levites as gifts to Aaron and his sons to do the work at the tent of meeting on behalf of the Israelites and to make atonement for them so that no plague will strike the Israelites when they go near the sanctuary. Moses, Aaron, and the whole Israelite community did with the Levites just as the Lord commanded Moses. The Levites purified themselves and washed their clothes. Then Aaron presented them as a wave offering before the Lord and made atonement for them to purify them. After that, the Levites came to do their work at the tent of meeting under the supervision of Aaron and his sons. They did with the Levites just as the Lord commanded Moses. The Lord said to Moses, this applies to the Levites. Men 25 years old or more shall come to take part in the work at the tent of meeting. But at the age of 50, they must retire from their regular service and work no longer. They may assist their brothers in performing their duties at the tent of meeting but they themselves must not do the work. This, then, is how you are to assign the responsibilities of the Levites. Beloved congregation of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, two of the main engines of economic growth in the province of British Columbia are forestry and mining. At the moment, forestry is, as you may have read, experiencing any number of difficulties. But the same cannot be said for mining. It's booming. Exploration is up. More and more mines are planned and being opened all the time. But mines do come in different forms. Many in British Columbia are of the open pit variety. This means that the companies do not have to dig very deep below the surface to get at the mineral deposits. They just start digging and then extracting. But other mines are not like that. They're of the deep tunneling variety. You have to go down, sometimes way down, And often it's difficult and dangerous work. 
It takes a lot of money, time, and effort. Now, in a way, beloved, all of this relates to the Bible. Some parts of it are easy to mine, and the gems to be extracted lie close to the surface. But then there are other parts that require a lot more study, reflection, and discussion. Yes, and as for the book of Numbers, it, you might say, is like the latter. Many of its riches do not lie close to the surface, but rather they lie deeper, and they require a greater degree of determination and persistence on our part. And you know, that's also apparent when we come to Numbers chapter 8, verses 5 and following. It's all about, as you read with me, about Levites. But we don't have any Levites today. The office of minister is not comparable to that ancient office. The offices of deacon and elder do not connect directly with it either. And even the office of all believers cannot be said to be based on it. So where does that leave us? Is this the case of an office, an ancient office that has no modern relevance? And by extension, is this a part of the Bible that has nothing to say to us today? Beloved, before we jump to that conclusion, we need to be careful. We believe that the Spirit of the living God is the author of this book. And we're even told that all Scripture is breathed out by God. All Scripture. And we're told that this word, this entire word, is living and active. And are we thus allowed to relegate parts of it to the sidelines? The answer, beloved, is no. All of Scripture speaks, also Numbers 8 speaks today. How does it speak? In three ways. I preached to you on the following theme, how God's instructions to ancient Levites teach modern believers. And these instructions have to do with purification, representation, dedication. Well, beloved, after reading the text of our our text this afternoon, we may be inclined to say interesting, very interesting, but not really applicable to us at all. Well, let's first of all deal with the interesting part. We begin by turning to the verses 5 to 14. And and what is that section all about? Well, it has to do with, as the heading suggests, the setting apart of the Levites and with making them ready for service. Now, before we go into all of the particulars, remember that a number of things have already been said in the book of Numbers about the Levites. In chapter 1, we are told that the tribe of Levi is not to be counted with all of the other tribes of Israel, but rather it's to be set aside for special service, tabernacle service. And in Numbers 3, we are told first about a part of the tribe of Levi being set apart as priests, the family of Aaron. 
And we're also told in Numbers 4 about most of the tribe of Levi being assigned to deal with the tabernacle. It's transportation, it's setting up, it's taking down, it's maintenance, and so forth. And thereafter we heard about sacrificial material being supplied by all the tribes of Israel, about the tabernacle being completed, about the lamp being set up and lit. In short, all is now ready. The Levites can finally get to work. However, before they can get to work, something else has to happen. The Levites first need to be cleansed. Now, how is that done? Well, as you can read in our scripture passage in our text in three stages. First, their bodies need to be sprinkled with the water of cleansing and thus made pure. And secondly, the hair on their bodies needs to be shaved off. And thirdly, their clothing needs to be thoroughly washed. The point of all of this is that these men are to be clean. They're to be free of every form of defilement. Of everything that would stain and mar them in their work. On the outside, they are to be spick and span. But of course, that raises the question, what about on the inside? Well, that too is addressed in our text. For for look, that's why those sacrifices are brought into the picture. First, there is to be a grain or a burnt offering, an offering of fine flour mixed with oil as well as a, a young bull. And second, there is to be a sin offering, an offering of a young bull only, no grain. And so what happened? The whole congregation was assembled before the Lord. The bulls were selected and they were brought forward. The Levites had to step forward as well. And next, all the people, it says, laid their hands upon the Levites. I'm not sure if that literally means each and every one of them or representatives on their behalf because, of course, there are hundreds and thousands, if not millions, of Israelites. And thereby, thereafter, the Levites are to be presented as a wave offering, which probably means that the hands were waved behind and above the Levites by Aaron and his sons, the priests. And then the Levites had to come forward. And they had to lay their hands on the two bulls. Literally, it says they had to press their hands on these bulls. In other words, not simply touch them, they had, as it were, to lean on them. And finally, the burnt offering and the sin offering were brought. The burnt offering, more than anything else, has to do with ransom. It's an offering to heal the breach between God and man. And the sin offering is an offering that has to deal with any and all defilement, whether personal or communal sin or defilement. And so together, burnt offering and sin offering made sure that not simply and solely the outside of your life was clean before God, but also the inside of your life 
was symbolically cleansed and scrubbed clean. And so, beloved, the bulls were killed and their bodies were burned and the smoke went up to God. And the Levites were presented as a wave offering to the Lord. And really, if you think of everything that now transpires here in our text, what what it really is, is a kind of picture. And indeed, so many of the ceremonies in the Old Testament are meant to be pictures. Pictures that make invisible truths visible. Yes, and here as the people, the priests and the Levites come forward together with the sacrifices that are offered, the picture is one of cleansing, one of being renewed. And so you can say the the first fundamental point of our text is about the matter of purification. It's the idea that no one can serve the Lord God, the Holy God of Israel on a daily basis without addressing the matter of their sins, their basic uncleanness. The fact that rebellion against God has made us all unworthy and unfit. Oh, and then I am not saying that before one can come to God, one has to jump through all kinds of hoops and make all sorts of resolutions and go on a real do-it-yourself improvement plan. No, we come to God just as we are. We come to Him clothed in sin and misdeed. We come to Him asking for forgiveness and pleading for pardon. And He grants it to us. Graciously, mercifully, miraculously, He forgives, He redeems, and He restores. But then after we have come to Him, and after we have been so abundantly blessed by Him, and if we then want to serve Him, as surely we must, then we have to do so in the awareness that Holy service calls for holy lives. Holy service calls for holy lives. You know, in that regard, I think of what the Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, he says, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy... To offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your minds. You know, these Levites, they have been the recipients of God's mercy. God has entered into covenant that with them. God has taken them out of the slavery in Egypt. God has carried also them on eagles' wings and brought them to himself. He's called them to special service. 
And others who offer their bodies and their lives as living sacrifices. Holy and pleasing to the Lord. And beloved, I dare say that that same principle applies to all of us. For thanks to Jesus Christ, we have seen and experienced even more of God's mercy. And thanks to the power of the Holy Spirit, our lives have been changed and renewed and remade inside and outside. And hence the call to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, as holy and pleasing sacrifices rests on a much broader and deeper basis than ever in the Old Testament. But that begs the question, are we heeding the call? Where is your spiritual act of worship? Is your life filled with a burning desire to conform in every respect to the will of God? Is holiness your constant aim? Is there a daily reliance on the power of the Holy Spirit? Are you busy conforming or transforming? Are your thoughts, words, and actions pure? As befits being a member of God's holy nation and congregation. And so, beloved, the first thing in our text is this matter of purification. Then and now. The next thing is representation. Sounds sort of complicated, right? But it's not. Look at our text again. Verse 15 tells us that once they have been purified and set apart, the Levites are supposed to get to work. They can now dismantle the tabernacle, carry it wherever it has to go, set it up again wherever God decides. And they can now also act as guardians and keepers of the sanctuary. And while there's even the likelihood that they assisted the priests in many different ways when they went about their sacrificial duties. In short, the time has finally come for the Levites to take up their office in earnest. Yes, and you know, in connection with that, the Israelites always need to remember something. They need to remember that these Levites are working for them and in their sin. In particular, the firstborn in Israel need to say to themselves, whenever they look at the Levites, that should really be me up there. I should be doing that work. I should be performing that service. Now, why do I say that? Well, because of what we've been told earlier in Numbers chapter 3 and what we hear here in Numbers 8 again, God says to Moses, they, the Levites, are the Israelites who are to be given wholly to me. 
I have taken them as my own in place of the firstborn. The first male offspring from every Israelite woman. So what are the Levites? The Levites are representatives, alternates, replacements, substitutes. And I think you know what that means. Take a soccer team. I think it's made up of 11 Members, and if I get that wrong, no doubt any number of you will tell me after the service. I think it should be seven, but anyway, I think it's made up of eleven. It's also made up of any number of substitutes. And the substitutes, those are the people who play when the regulars can't or don't play very well or get disqualified. Well, now, the Levites are, so to speak, the subs in Israel. They're subbing for the firstborn, the firstborn of all Israel, man and beast. And indeed, what what God has done is taken the whole first team, the team of the firstborn, and set them aside and replace them with a team filled with subs called Levites. And as a matter of fact, God has sent this team of subs and representatives to work beside another team, the team of Aaron and his sons, the priests. Read, for example, verse 19. Of all the Israelites, I have given the Levites as gifts to Aaron and his sons, to do the work at the tent of meeting on behalf of the Israelites and to make atonement for them so that no plague will strike the Israelites when they go near the sanctuary. So here we have a team of Levitical subs assisting a team of priests. And by the way, That's no minor insignificant substitution either. For when the Levites work as substitutes, they also work as guardians and protectors of the whole congregation. They protect Israel from plague, which really means the same as destruction. You see, these subs, they prevent Israel's downfall. They save and protect the people. And now stop. Now think about that for a moment. Here we have described an ancient task. But do you see its meaning for us today? There were subs and representatives in Israel of old. What about the new Israel of God today? The church. As you think about the church, don't you realize that in the church there is one great substitute and representative? 
to which all of these Levites point. And that's Jesus Christ. When he comes into the world, why does he do so? Is it for his own sake? No, it's for our sake. And when he goes to work, for whom does he go to work? Is it for himself? No, it's for his people. Think, for example, of his baptism by John in the River Jordan. When the Lord Jesus comes to John one fine day and says to John, you have to baptize me, John looks at him as if to say, are you out of your mind? I have to baptize you. You need to baptize me. Because you see, in John's mind, there is no way that Jesus needs to undergo a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He's spotless, he's stainless, he's perfect. So why is he standing there demanding it? He's demanding it for the sake of his people. As he says, I want to fulfill all righteousness. I want to identify with my own. I want to stand in their place. I want to act as their representative and substitute Oh, and that, beloved, whether we realize it or not, is something that pays all manner of benefits. You know, when the Levites were appointed as the subs in Israel, God says they're making atonement for the Israelites and preventing their destruction. But you know, how much more is that not true of Jesus Christ? When he comes as our substitute and as our replacement, He is making one huge atoning sacrifice, the sacrifice of himself. And what he's doing is averting a destruction from his people that is eternal and everlasting. You see, beloved, here's a representative. Here's a substitute beyond description. And imagination. All those Levites of old point to him. But in comparison to him, they all pale beside him. Yes, a representative, a substitute beyond imagination. But how then to repay him? And how to show true appreciation to him? And how to demonstrate one's true thankfulness to God? Well, look at our text again. Look at the Levites. God appoints them, and what do they do next? They get to work. Verse 22 states, the Levites came to do their work at the tent of meeting. Notice, They have no questions. They demand no further explanation. They have no protests. They create no fuss, no bother. They simply get to work. In short, there is 
Dedication here. Dedication in abundance. And indeed, again, there is something here that should teach us today and challenge us. As I said earlier today, there are no Levites in the church of Jesus Christ. And neither are they connected in any direct way to the office of pastor, elder, or deacon. And so you might want to conclude from that that there is no linkage or connection here whatsoever. You might jump to the conclusion that the the Levites have absolutely nothing to teach us today. But they do. For there is a connection between them and us. And you know, the connection has to do with the whole idea, the whole concept of office. The Levites held an office in the Old Testament. And you and I hold an office in the New Testament church. It's called the office of all believers. And how should those who are in office serving Almighty God do their work? Surely they should do it with dedication, with commitment, with heart, with fervor. In other words, not reluctantly, not hesitantly, not indifferently, and not in a compromising fashion either. Now, you and I have been called to be faithful, living, and dedicated prophets, priests, and kings in the service of the great prophet, priest, and king, Jesus Christ. Yes, we're called to be dedicated office bearers. Dedicated in our worship, dedicated in our prayer, dedicated in our study of the Word of God, dedicated in our offerings, dedicated in our witness. And we're called to be that. Always. Some time ago I mentioned in a sermon that the Bible does not know anything about retirement about reaching a certain artificial age and then doing nothing, lying on the beach for the rest of your life, for example. And afterwards, one of you came to me and reminded me, ah, but the Bible does speak about Levites who retire at the age of 50. Now, that's interesting. What am I still doing at 60? What are some of you still doing at 70 and 80? Well, you know, in actual fact, it doesn't say that the Levites retired completely at 50. Verse 24 of our text says they started at 25. Verse 25 says, but at the age of 50, they must retire from their regular service and work no longer. So what happens at 50? Do they stop work altogether? Spend all their days at Tim Hortons? No, they stop doing their regular work, which is the work of lifting 
and carrying the tabernacle and its poles, curtains, altars, basins, and furnishings. Instead of that, they get other work to do. Lighter work. Maybe even brainier work. Quite simply, this is a case of, number one, knowing your limits as you get older. And number two, working smarter and not harder as you get older. Look at verse 26. They may assist their brothers in performing their duties at the tent of meeting, but they themselves must not do the work. You may assist and you may delegate and make sure the work is done. Just don't bother doing the heavy lifting yourself anymore. And so what's the point? Well, the point is very simply that the work of office goes on. That in this life, it never truly stops. It may change its character, it may change its intensity, but it doesn't change its reality. And so you can say, beloved, here's a reminder. A reminder to all of you to keep on working in the church and kingdom of God. And how you do that work depends. And who does what depends. But yet there is a task for all. All of the time. And why? Why is there always work to do? And why should this work always be done with great dedication? Simply because of Christ. He is, as I alluded earlier, the great office bearer in the church. Does he ever stop working? Even now, seated at the right hand of God in the majesty on high, as we confess, has he stopped working? Now, his intercessory work for us goes on. His work of ruling and reigning over all things goes on. His work of watching over his people and taking care of his people goes on. You see, Christ Jesus, our great office bearer and example, is always at work. So what about you? What are you doing? And just how? Just how are you doing it? Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.com dot org.